So we're in week two of our um, Advent season um, together, and and something we do every year is is we light the candles of the Advent wreath. And so last week um, we lit the candle of expectation, and today we light the candle of hope. And we're not gonna we're gonna be talking about hope in a roundabout way today, but um, but. But I'm excited about sharing with you today. I'm excited about the message I'm sharing because honestly, it's something I've been dealing with myself. And, and I'm just excited to share this and I'm probably gonna get super emotional and I'm probably gonna get really into it, so I'm sorry. But, but it's something that's been working in my heart. And so before we get started, let's just pray for a minute. Dear Lord, I thank you um, for the opportunity to be together. I thank you that you're here with us. And I pray that, Lord, today through your word, that, that you, would, you would draw us closer to you, that we would experience you in a new way, and that we would be preparing our hearts um, for the celebration of your coming in this Christmas season. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this day in thy name. Amen. So last week we talked about, um, we started our out-of-the-box Christmas series, and we talked about expectations. And we talked about a man named Simeon, who was a man who was waiting for the Messiah, a man who was waiting for the coming Savior. And we talked a little bit about how he had been visited by an angel, and that angel had told him that he would not die until he saw the coming Savior. And so we were talking about the anticipation that he must have felt, how excited he must have been for that coming moment of the Savior. And last week, we talked a little bit about the Chicago Cubs. How many of you are Cubs fans? Let's hear it. Yeah, okay, you, you got to have more than that this year. Come on. We talked about how Cubs fans have been waiting for over 100 years for their team to win a championship, and there's been this anticipation. In the last couple years, they've been really good, and we've anticipated that maybe they would win. And we, not me, I'm not a Cubs fan, but we, um, the 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 baseball world and Cubs fans especially, have been anticipating, and there was this hope and this excitement and it happened, and they won. And so we talked about that anticipation, but we talked about how that, that's nothing compared to what Simeon must have been feeling and the people of Israel must have been feeling because the people of Israel had been hurting and had been on this journey for so long, and they had been, they had been through times of slavery, and they had been through times of war, and they had been through times of brokenness, and there were some good times, but they, they had this, this long period of waiting for the king. And so we talked about Simeon, and his waiting for the king to show up, for the, for the restoration of Israel. And we ended last week with this, and, and we're going to be here a little bit today, but, but we're going we're gonna to go past this. We ended with this, that we need to expect God to show up this Christmas season. That we need to expect that God is going to be with us and present, and that God's going to show up in a unique way this Christmas season. So the second part of our series, of our out-of-the-box series, is this. It's that when God works, God works miraculously. When God works, God works miraculously. We see this throughout the Christmas story. The Christmas story is an out-of-the-box story. It's not what people expected. It's not the plan that anybody would have come up with. It's out-of-the-box, but it's miraculous. If we look in the Christmas story, there's several examples of miraculous things happening. The first thing we see is we see several people that are visited by angels. That's a pretty miraculous thing. 
Most of us have never experienced angels. Most of us, it's just a concept. Most of us don't experience angels coming to us. I've met maybe two or three people in my life that felt like an angel came to them or had experienced the presence of an angel. So we see angels coming to people and sharing the plan and the story of of what's going to happen. The second thing we see is a woman named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was barren in her old age. She was not able to have children. And that was actually something that had brought shame on her. Because in that day, if you weren't able to conceive, then, then that would be a, a difficult thing. And we see that an angel comes and says, Elizabeth is going to conceive a child. And that's a big deal because Elizabeth passed her years of when that should be happening. And so we see a, a miracle happen in that Elizabeth, who her whole life was unable to conceive, conceives a child. Then we see the the next part of that is that her husband, Zechariah, doesn't even believe when the angel tells him that it's going to happen. And and we see that what happens is he loses his ability to speak. And he's not going to be able to speak again until the baby is born. This isn't something that's normal. This isn't ordinary. It doesn't happen very often. And so he loses his ability to speak. And then we see that when the baby is born, all of a sudden, Zechariah gets his voice back and immediately begins praising God. We just see miracles all over this story. And then we see maybe one of the biggest miracles has to do with, uh, with Mary. And that's where I want to focus here this morning with the story of Mary, and especially the angel coming to Mary. And so I think this is the most miraculous part of the Christmas story, and we're introduced to it in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And so I'm going to read this to you, and you can read along with me if you want, but this is what it says. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, I mean, she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we see this story, we see Mary, a young girl, and we see an angel come to Mary and give her some incredible news, some some miraculous news, I mean some troubling news. So, So what do we know and what should we know about this story? Well, first off, we know that Mary is a virgin. We know that she's a young girl and she's never had relations with a man. And so she's a virgin. And then it tells us that Mary is, um, is 
engaged or has, has been um, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And so let me explain this a little bit. In, in that day, engagement or pledging to be married is a little bit different than it is in our society today. So in our society today, you're dating someone, you're in love, you decide you want to get married, and so you get engaged, and then there's a, a period of engagement, and then you get married. But in this time, engagement or pledging to be married worked a little bit differently. Often, when you, when you pledged to be married to somebody, there would be a ceremony, and, and that would pretty much indicate that you were married. And then for, for a, a period of time similar to ours, you would be pledged to be married, you would be considered to be married, but you wouldn't live together and you wouldn't have relations or do anything that, that married couples do. And so Mary was pledged um, to marry Joseph, but she lived with her family. She did not live with him, and they were in this engagement period. And, and it tells us, or, or, or we know from, from that time period, that if you were pledged to be married to somebody, you were considered to be married already, and the only way out of it was through divorce. So we see two things. We see that she's pledged to be married, which means that she hasn't, um, hasn't consummated that marriage, hasn't had relations with Joseph. She isn't living with Joseph, but they're pledged to be married. And, and so, so we see that she's a virgin, and she's pledged to be married to Joseph. Then the second thing we see is this, that an angel comes to Mary. All right, now like I said, most of us have not seen angels. Most of us have not experienced that, and an angel comes to her, and what we see is that she is troubled. That's normal, right? I mean, if an angel came to you today or tonight, you would probably be a little bit troubled. You'd probably be a little bit scared. And so an angel comes to her, and she's troubled. That makes total sense. Then the third thing, then comes the big news. So the angel comes to her, she's troubled, and then comes the big news, and that big news is this. Hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. That's big news, isn't it? If any of you have ever had children, then you know that that news is really big news. So about a year, a little over a year ago, I was at lunch with Pastor Ben and, um, and another youth pastor in the area. I don't know what day, it was probably a Wednesday or a Thursday, and we're just out to lunch, and, um, and we're on our way back from lunch, just a normal week, a normal day, and all of a sudden, my phone rings, and Megan is calling me, my wife Megan is calling me, and I was with the guys, we were actually on our way back to the cars to, to go our separate ways, and so I just, I hit ignore, and I thought, you know, I'll call her back when I get to where I'm going, I don't want to talk to her in front of these people, so I, I hit ignore and moved on, right? Immediately. My phone rings again, and I'm like, come on, Megan, you know if I ignore the call, there's a reason I ignore the call, you don't need to call me again, so I hit ignore, and I thought, I'll call her as soon as I get back to my car. The phone rings again, a third time, and so at this point, I'm thinking, something's going on, I should probably answer this, so I answered it, and I just said, hey, Megan, I'm on my way back from lunch, I'm with Ben and this youth pastor, and, and so just give me a second, I'll call you back when I get to my car, it'll all be good, and she's like, okay, that's fine, so I hang up. Well, then, before I get to my car, a couple minutes later, I get a text, and the text says, hey, do you want to come help me at my school today? Now, it's the end of lunch on a work day, Megan's school is about 40 minutes from here, and so that's a weird question. Do you want to come help me at my school today? 
why would I want to come help you at your school today? That's a long way to go. It's almost the end of the day already. Like, what, what's going on? And so I, I'm just, I'm confused. So I get to my car, and I get in my car, and I call her. And, and what happens every time someone calls you three times, and you don't answer, and you call them back, what happens? They don't answer. So I call her, and Megan doesn't answer, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? I'm so confused. Something's going on. I don't know what it is. And so I texted her, and I said, I'm starting to worry about you a little bit. And that was it. And about 10 minutes later, I get a call back, and Megan says, um, we're going to have another kid. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? 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 We're going to have another kid. We already had three kids. We thought we were good with three kids. We thought we were done with three kids, and we're going to have a baby. That's pretty big news, isn't it? And, and so I got the big news. And you know what? I, I mean, that's all fine and good, but I mean, imagine Mary. She's a virgin. She's pledged to be married, but there's no possible way that it could be true that she's going to have a baby, and the angel says, you're going to have a baby. So as surprised and, and taken back as I was, I can't imagine what Mary was feeling when the angel said, you're going to have a baby. And, and, and then the second part of this is even more incredible. Oh, by the way, Mary, you're not just going to have a baby, but this baby is going to be the greatest king to ever live. Oh, and by the way, his kingdom will never end. Wow. I mean, I was just having my fourth kid. Like, okay. No, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. The baby is going to be the greatest king ever. So the fourth thing we know is this, that Mary naturally questions it. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How can this be? I'll be honest with you. I asked the same exact question when I found out that she was pregnant for the fourth time. I said, how can this be? I don't get it. Apparently, after four times, we still haven't figured out how this can be, right? But, but I asked the same exact question. How can this be? And so then the fifth thing we see is this, that the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. God is going to make this happen. God is going to make this happen. And Mary responds and says, may your word to me be fulfilled. She responds in complete obedience. Sure, she was troubled with the angel coming. Sure, this was crazy news that didn't make sense, and she naturally questioned it. But when the angel told her that this is God that's going to do it, she said, okay, if it's God that's doing it, there we go. Honestly, I don't know that I got there as fast as Mary did. Um, I don't know that I got there with the fourth announcement, but my heart was there. I, lo I love it. But, but I don't know that I was there in the complete obedience and the, okay, God. So, so this story, this angel visiting Mary, this whole Christmas story, there is nothing ordinary about this story. I mean, think about it. There is nothing normal about this story. About the only thing I think is normal in this story is Mary's reactions up until that last reaction, the being troubled, the questioning. I mean, those are normal things, but outside of that, nothing is ordinary in this story. Here's the thing. God works outside of the ordinary. 
God works outside of the ordinary. In fact, if you read through Scripture, if you read through the Bible, there are countless times that God works outside of the ordinary. We see miracles. We see awesome things happen. We see seas parted so that people can walk through the middle of them. We see manna rain from heaven so that people can have food and be sustained. We see Jesus doing miracles and healing people that are blind by putting mud in their eyes. We see miracle after miracle. We see that our God is not ordinary. Our God works miraculously. And so... Here's the thing, if, if, if the God that we serve is the God of the Christmas story, if the God that we serve is the God of the scriptures that re- we read, then we serve a God that works miraculously, outside of the ordinary. Let me say that one more time. If the God we serve is the God of the Christmas story and scriptures, then we serve a God that works miraculously, not ordinary. So let me ask you a question. Does our belief reflect that? Does our worship reflect that we serve a God that works miraculously? Do our actions reflect that we serve a God that works miraculously? There's an author, a Christian author named A.W. Tozer, and and he believes that that our actions and our worship and, and, and everything that we do does not reflect that we serve a God that works miraculously. He believes that we tend to put God in our own little spiritual religious box. And, and so he talks about in his writings how we, we want to understand everything. We want to have an explanation for everything. We want to know exactly who God is. We want to know exactly why God does what he does. We want to know exactly what's going on. We want to understand it. We want to be able to wrap our heads around it. We really honestly want to control it. And so he says that we put God in a box. Like God will do this, but probably won't do that because this is who God is. And and we kind of have this box that we believe God fits in. And this is how we believe God's going to act. But he says this, he warns us, that if we lose the mystery, if we miss out on the fact that our God works outside of the ordinary and works miraculously, then we'll end up with a God that can never surprise us, never overwhelm us, never astonish us, and never transcend us. In fact, if you think about this, in Scripture we saw this over and over again from religious people. We see, we see religious people and Pharisees that put God in a box Think about Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and how how many times Jesus wants to do something spectacular, a miracle, and the Pharisees say, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. You can't do that. That doesn't fit within our rules and our beliefs and our systems. That's not who God is. And they, they limit God's power and God's action, or they try to. They can't limit it, but they try to. And, and so, do we put God in a box? Does our worship... Do our actions, do our beliefs suggest that we serve a God that can do more than we could ever imagine and work miraculously? Or do we put God in our little religious box? Albert Einstein has has a cool quote. He says this. He says, there are only two ways to live your life. One is if nothing is a miracle, and the other is as as if everything is. Is a miracle. And so that brings us to uh, real quick. Last week, you saw Pastor Holly 
and, and the kids come up here, and, and she opened a, a present. She opened a box from Pastor Deb, and do, you any, do any of you remember what was in it? A fruitcake. And so we were talking about expectations, and so we're opening boxes in this out-of-the-box um, Christmas season. And so I'm going to open our second box back here, um, and, and this is going to help us understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about. So let me open up my present here. And um, I have a feeling this is a present I've gotten before, but come on up here. Whoa. Oh, here he is. He kind of like a fruitcake, right? So this is, uh, this is my boy. All right, let go of me. There you go. This is my boy Eli. Eli's eight years old. He is my firstborn son. And, and he's going to illustrate for us a little bit. Do you want to talk a little bit? Okay, good. I didn't want you to. All right, go on down. So... Here's the thing, eight years ago, eight years ago, Eli was born, and honestly, I can't think of a bigger miracle in all of my life than the birth of my children. I remember eight years ago, I remember that we had been expecting this baby to come. We had known that we were going to have a baby for almost nine months, and then we go to the hospital, and this baby is born. And it blew my mind. If you've had children, if you've seen that happen, then you know that it, it's miraculous. There's nothing ordinary about a baby being born. And I remember expecting Eli to come and knowing that he was going to come, but I'll never forget the moment that he was born. And, and that, that, that thing that we expected that was, that was living inside Megan all of a sudden was a human, a living thing baby. And it blew my mind. It was a miracle. In fact, this probably won't surprise you, but I've had four kids now, and every time I have a kid, the same thing happens. This. I cry because it's miraculous. It's amazing. It blows my mind every time how a living human being has been created. And I look at Eli, and he's eight years old now. And that little thing that was born that day that, was, that, that looked like an alien and, and, and had to be fed and, and cried and, and was very dependent has grown into an eight-year-old boy who's brilliant, who has a personality, who has thoughts, who can do things and create things, and it blows my mind. He's a miracle. And if you've ever experienced that, then you know that children are miracles from God. All four of my children, I mean, it's amazing. I, I, I will never get that picture out of my mind of just how, I mean, my world was just changed the moment that my kids were born, four different times. So I want to watch a video real quick. This is about our human body, and it's just kind of a cool video that we're going to talk about. Your body is made up of many atoms, around 7 octillion to be exact. These make up the 37 trillion cells in your body, which are actually much younger than you think. The cells that line your stomach regenerate every 5 days, which makes sense as stomach acid can dissolve metal. Your skin's outer layer, known as the epidermis, is shed every 2 to 4 weeks, meaning after 1 year you'll shed roughly 0.7 kilograms of dead skin, and only some cells have been with you your entire life, those of the 
inner lens of the eye and muscle cells of the heart and the neurons of the cerebral cortex in your brain, which is largely responsible for your memory. And while the brain may seem small, all those wrinkles are for a good reason. Spread it all out and the brain would be about the size of a pillowcase, which is great for the trillion nerves powering your memory. In fact, studies have shown that after viewing 2,500 images for only 3 seconds, participants could recall if they had seen one of the images with 92% accuracy. Don't believe your eyes? Maybe it's because you spend 10% of the day blinking. But they can actually distinguish between 2.3 to 7.5 million colors. Your nose is able to discriminate between 1 trillion different smells. Meanwhile, your fingers can feel a ridge as small as 13 nanometers in size. That's 7,500 times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. And while you may not think much of your pinky finger, without it, you'd lose 50% of your hand's strength. Sure, the index and middle finger are essential to help pinch and grab with the thumb, but it's your ring and pinky finger that give your hand power. Now clasp one hand into the other. That's roughly the size of your heart. It beats 100,000 times per day, pumping 5.5 liters with each pulse, which is close to 3 million liters of blood every year. If you live to 75, it would fill 90 Olympic-sized swimming pools. When it's all said and done, human decomposition begins around 4 minutes after death. This process is known as self-digestion, in which your enzymes and bacteria eat you away. In fact, 3 to 5 pounds of your body is made up of bacteria. In an unclean mouth alone, 100 million to 1 billion bacteria can grow on each tooth. With 32 teeth each, some of us have more bacteria in our mouth than there are people in the world. If that leaves you weak in the knees, don't worry, your bones are incredibly strong. When testing compression strength for a rate of 1 second, an 83 kilogram person with US shoe size 11 could have 16,000 people stand on their bone at once. That is, of course, if there was enough room. And from the bones of our ancestors, we can extract DNA to learn about them. But if we were to take all of your DNA from your entire body and uncoil it, it would stretch about 10 billion miles, which is from here to Pluto and back. And if you took all of your veins, capillaries, and arteries and laid them end to end, you'd die. So don't do that. All right, so that was just a little fun video about our bodies. But isn't that incredible? How many of you, when they were talking about bacteria and having more bacteria in your body than the people in the world, how many of you were like sitting next to someone thinking, that's them, <laughs> right? Isn't that incredible? I mean, that, I mean, the human body is amazing. The things that have, I mean, it's, it's miraculous. The fact that we have enough DNA inside of, inside of this small body to reach to Pluto and back. The fact that this little insignificant seeming pinky finger has up to 50% of the strength of my hand. I mean, I, that video, and, and there are hundreds like it, our, our bodies are amazing. I mean, when you think about what it means to be alive, it's a miracle. Right now, you're doing something that, that you don't even know you're doing, and that's breathing. You're not even aware that you're, I mean, you know you're breathing, but you're not consciously making the effort to breathe every time. Every time you take a breath, that's a miracle. There are so many things happening that are keeping you alive. So turn to the person next to you and say, you are amazing. All right, now turn to the person next to you and say, you are a miracle. There you go. You heard something positive today. You're amazing and you're a miracle. And the truth of the matter is, that is absolutely 100% correct. We are all miracles. Life is a miracle. 
the birth of your kids or the birth of a child is a miracle. And so I just wonder, how can we not see the miraculous ways that God works when we are literally walking miracles every second of the day? How can we miss out on the fact that we serve a God that works miraculously when we ourselves are a testament to the fact that God works miracles? You guys are miracles today. I don't know about you guys, but I want to experience the miraculous power and work of God. I don't want to put God in a little religious box. I don't want to, I don't want to understand everyone, everything and think that I know exactly how everything works. And I don't want to serve a God that just is small and works the way I want it to work or anything like that. I want to experience the God that created everything. I want to experience God this Christmas season. I want to experience God today because God is amazing. The creator of all of this, the creator of the universe, the creator of each and every one of you and the miraculous things that God has done, the God of the scriptures, the God of the Christmas story. I want to experience that God today and in this Christmas season. I don't know where you guys are at today. Um, I would imagine some of you are struggling in this Christmas season. The truth of the matter is, Christmas is supposed to be a time that's exciting and happy and a time for good things to happen. But let's be honest, sometimes those are the times that people hurt them the most. And so I don't know where you guys are at, but I would imagine that there are some people here this morning that, feel, that, that, are, that are hurting inside because they're dealing with broken relationships, I would imagine that some of you have a relationship in your life, whether it's a, a family member or a spouse or a friend, and that relationship is broken, and Christmas just doesn't seem like a time of hope and excitement and joy because you're hurting. I would imagine some of the people in here feel, are feeling like they're just a failure, I would imagine that some of us feel like maybe we've, we've messed up, maybe we've, we've fallen short, and maybe there are some people in this Christmas season just feel like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worth anything. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a miracle. Maybe there are some of you today that are dealing with, with physical hardships. Maybe there are some of you that are dealing with sickness or disease or something that's been plaguing you for a long time. And in this Christmas season, you just don't feel the power, the miraculous working of God. Maybe there are some of you that are just really struggling to connect to God. Maybe there's some of you that can't feel God's presence in your life and, and you just feel disconnected and you feel like you're alone and you feel like you just aren't getting it. Here's the thing. I believe that the God of the Christmas story and the God of the scriptures and the God that we are here to worship today, I believe that God wants to work in miraculous, out-of-the-box ways in your lives. Regardless of what it is that you're struggling with, regardless of what it is that's broken in your life, or even if everything's totally fine, I believe that we're here today to worship a God that wants to, in this Advent and Christmas season, work in miraculous, extraordinary, out-of-the-box ways. And preparing for this, I came across an article by another author named Mark Batterson. And he said this, he said, God is looking for people who won't tell him what he can't do, who won't put him 
in little religious boxes. God is looking for people who won't tell him what he can't do. And so think about the story of Mary and think about when the angel comes and gives her this incredible, extraordinary news that doesn't make sense and it's frightening and and the angel says, God wants to do it. And what's Mary's response? Her response isn't, this can't be. Her response is, how can this be? Do you hear the difference there? There, There's, this can't be means, God, you can't do it. You're in my little religious box. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough. This can't be. I'm a virgin. I can't have a baby. It's not possible. But she doesn't respond that way. She says, how can this be? How is this going to happen? How is my awesome, miraculous, powerful God going to do this amazing, extraordinary thing? Her, her response is obedience. Her response is, is, is not putting God in a little box, but saying, let me know. And, and, and when the angel says it comes from God, her response is this, then let it be. If no word from God can ever fail, then let it be for me. That needs to be our response today. What is your response in this Christmas season? What, what are you thinking? Do you think that God is going to come and work in extraordinary, miraculous ways? Is your response, this can't be? It's not possible. God can't do that. God can't heal me. God can't fix this relationship. God can't change my life. God can't. Or is your response, how are you going to work in my life, God? What do you want to do? And how are you going to do it? We can't put God in a box. We serve a God that is far greater and far more powerful and far more out of the box and extraordinary than we will ever understand. What will your response be this Christmas season? As we get into uh, this out-of-the-box series, as we continue through this Advent series, I I, I want us to experience God in all of his fullness. I don't want us to limit it. So the first thing, we talked about this last week, we want to expect God to show up. We want to expect God to show up in this Christmas season. We want to expect God to be present in our lives, to be peace, to be God with us in this Christmas season. And the second thing is we need to allow God to work miraculously in our lives. Not to be someone that says this can't be, but to be someone that says, how can this be? God, what do you want to do? God, show up and do something great. Do something that blows my mind, that's beyond my comprehension. How are you going to do it, Lord? I'm open to it. I'm obedient. Show me. Batterson concludes his article this way. He says this, I hope you can re-experience the mystery of Christmas. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God of all of creation was born as a helpless little baby in Bethlehem. And I would add this to it. Not just that you'll re-experience the mystery of Christmas, but this season I hope that you experience the almighty, powerful God that works miraculously and has always worked miraculously. I hope you experience that God. I hope that you expect that God to show up and I hope that you say, how can this be? And you allow God to work miraculously in your life. Like I said, I, I don't know where you are, but I know this. We serve a God that works miraculously. 
We serve a God that wants to show up this Christmas season and wants to do things in our lives that we couldn't even imagine or comprehend. And so today, as you expect God to show up, allow God to work miraculously in your lives. Whether that means healing broken relationships, whether that means um, healing sickness, whatever that is, we serve a God that's bigger than what we can ever imagine. And so let's not put God in a little box, but let's serve the miraculous God and say, God, do your will. How can it be? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you uh, for your word today, and I thank you for your word that's been challenging me for a while now. And Lord, I, I pray that you'll forgive me when, I, when, I, when I'm thinking too small, and forgive me when I, when I try to put you in a box and understand everything, and forgive me when I think that things are hopeless. Because Lord, I know that I serve a God that's bigger than anything I can ever imagine. We come here this morning and acknowledge that you're far bigger than our understanding. You're far bigger than our problems. You're far bigger than anything we can comprehend, Lord. And so I ask for, for myself and for everybody here today, I ask for the world around us that's broken and hurting. that you would show up. And I ask that you would work in the way that, that only you can. That you would work miraculously. That you would blow our minds. And that you would be peace on earth. Lord, we love you. And we want to experience you in all of your glory this Christmas season. Nine name, amen.